This episode is brought to you by One World Empowered. Hey there, tired mama. Do you wish you could push a reset button on your energy? Like, do you want to keep up with those energizer bunnies that are running around you all day? I know, I know, I know. I feel ya. Coffee can only do so much. Well, don't you worry. I've got you covered. Now just imagine a community of mamas who know the struggle and are working together to harness and reclaim their energy. We're talking about a true community of mamas who get it. Daily practices to jumpstart your days, accountability partners, group coaching calls to ground and recenter you throughout the 28 days. Does this sound like the exact dose of medicine you need in order to feel 100% again? If so, this program is exactly what you need if you want to be more present with your kiddos, if you think a new routine will help you maximize your time and you enjoy having an accountability partner to help you with developing that new routine and those new habits, if you'd like to increase your patience and energy all while reducing your stress and anxiety, and if you think it would be amazing to have an understanding community of mamas who get it and are on the same path towards healing. Mama, today is the day you choose you and level up. Come join our 28-day energetic reset for moms by visiting www.oneworldempowered.com slash work with me and click the learn more option next to the energetic reset program or just scroll down and click the link in my show notes below. I can't wait to meet you and witness you step into your full potential. See you there, mama. You're listening to the Empower to Heal podcast. I'm your host, Dina T, and I'm so excited to take you on a journey through stories of everyday experts as we share the ways we've harnessed the power inside us to improve the quality of our lives and the health of our minds. We're so excited to have you here with us and hope you feel inspired and empowered to heal. Hello, you beautiful souls. Thank you for joining me today. I wanted to provide a special interview today to honor a theme that I've been noticing amongst the folks that I have interviewed for this podcast. So many of the women I've interviewed have shared that they have experienced a pregnancy loss or the loss of a child. And as I was thinking about the prevalence of that, The statistic rang in my brain around one in four women are impacted and affected by pregnancy and infant loss, and that is such a high statistic. And I know that we talked a bit about this in the podcast episode with Alethea for loss, but I really wanted to honor this by creating an episode that focused on pregnancy loss and infant loss. And what better way to do that than invite my dear friend, Michaela Alexander, onto the Empower to Heal podcast to share about her life's calling that she found as the womb keeper. So Michaela, uh, we used to work together um, back in the day at Child and Family Support Services. And since she left there, she has started her own journey. She is not a stranger when it comes to infant loss and pregnancy loss. She herself has four angel babies that she has lost and she has four other beautiful children. And she shares a bit about her journey today in our podcast around 
what it is like to experience such a loss and honoring that loss and the grief process of that loss and how her loss, her her babies that she lost and becoming pregnant with her first child has supported her in finding this life purpose of walking with women who have experienced this. And she is just such a gem in this world and providing hope and a space to be with and support healing. A little bit about her biography. Let me tell you, she is a very accomplished woman. She has a dual bachelor's degree in psychology and Spanish. She has a master's degree in professional counseling. She's working on her associate counselor's license. She's a certified school counselor, and she's also more than 80% complete with her doula certification. She's been interviewed and featured on the Sisters in Lost podcast and their YouTube channel, as well as many other radio interviews that she's spoken about her journey. And she is also the founder of hashtag the womb keeper. So if you Google that, you're going to find her website. You're going to find a book that she's written. And you're going to learn a little bit about her coaching and her encouragement and support that she provides as she supports women on their journey with infertility, pregnancy loss, and infant loss. And she has found herself, this term, the womb keeper is her business, but also she considers that to be her ministry. So she uses this platform to connect with women and their partners and their their support systems as they navigate the journey of infertility and pregnancy loss and infant loss. As I've gone through the statistics, we all know how prevalent this is. And I'm sure that if this if this hasn't touched your life, that you probably know somebody who has experienced this. So I hope that this resonates with you guys and provides some inspiration in your healing journey. The majority of mothers in this world know the depths of postpartum emotional struggles. And so do I. As I suffered silently through postpartum anxiety, I was in the dark to the realities of this struggle. Nobody warned me. It was so different than what I heard about the baby blues and what I knew about postpartum depression. And I wish someone had enlightened me and normalized what I was going through. I wish the stigma of postpartum struggles was non-existent so that I felt safe and secure enough in telling somebody what was going on inside my head and my body during that difficult, overwhelming time. I aim to reduce the stigma around postpartum struggles. And in order to do that, I'm partnering with Peace of My Mind Consulting to bring you guys a free community online training on May 4th at 5.15 Mountain Standard Time. In honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, I want to be sure that we are talking about the realities and the full range of mental health struggles. And that includes the experiences that so many of us mamas have after we give birth to our babies. Did you know that one in five new moms experience postpartum anxiety? It's so extreme, yet it's not talked about at all. And the screening tools that are used by our doctor's offices are targeted around postpartum depression. A lot of the questions on those tools don't even begin to hit the surface around what we experience when we're experiencing postpartum anxiety. Mark your calendars now for May 4th at 5.15 Mountain Standard Time. You guys are not going to want to miss this free training. We're going to unearth these struggles and talk about how we can treat them not just formally, but also informally. 
I was not somebody who felt comfortable and confident in telling my doctor or any of the providers I worked with about how I was feeling. I didn't even want to tell my husband, and I didn't tell him for a long time. But there was things that I learned that helped me manage the symptoms of my anxiety until my postpartum anxiety no longer existed. And I want to be sure to share those things with you guys, as well as share formal ways that you can reach out for assistance or help during this time, and even how you can reach out for help in an anonymous manner if you feel more confident in doing so. I see you, mamas. You are not alone. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're going to talk about ways that you can get there. This training is for all you new mamas out there, anyone who's trying to get pregnant or who is expecting a baby. If you've experienced anxiety in your past and you're planning on having a family and you're wondering how that's going to impact you, and this training is for anybody who loves somebody who is pregnant, expecting, or wanting to get pregnant, join us on May 4th at 5.15 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can subscribe through the link in my show notes for email updates on this training and access to register for this free event. Hi there, Michaela. Thank you so much for joining us on the Empower to Heal podcast. Hi, Dina. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm doing so good. I am so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, Mickey, so Michaela goes by Mickey. We go way back. I don't even know what year that was. Mickey, maybe you do. But <laughs> um, like 2014, maybe 20, yeah, 2013, 2014. Yeah, around there. So <laughs> we, yeah, we were office buddies at Child and Family Support Services doing the good work in the public behavioral health system. And uh, I learned so much about you, Mickey, when we got to be office buddies. Um, we I, we had quite the journey together, and I learned a lot about some hardships that you were navigating and had navigated as you had miscarriages, and I remember just being in awe of your strength. And fast forward to where we are now, you have utilized your hardships and your struggles through those moments to become a beacon of hope for others. And it's not, that's not because you're at the end of your journey. You're still in the midst of, of experiencing miscarriages and child loss. And still you remain strong for other women and their partners who are going through this. And so I was just blown away by your ability to take something so devastating and heart-wrenching and turn it into a way to relate and heal and help other women on their journeys with infertility or infant loss or pregnancy loss. And so thank you for taking the time to join us today and, and share with us a little bit about your story and how you got to where you are today. You know, I was listening to you just talk just now and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, um, first and foremost, it's you, Dina. So you asked and here I come, you know, um, <laughs> it's you, so I got you. Um, but, you know, as you talked about that, I even was sitting here listening like, is she talking about me? <laughs> you know, because sometimes when you're going through that, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like you, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I will go all the way back, you know. The first, I, I had a couple of miscarriages before the first one that actually hit me, hit me. The first two I had, I was pretty young. And so not that anybody wants to experience that, but you kind of are like a, um, who okay, 
the blessing is delayed, but I'm kind of okay with that. There's some more things I want to complete before I get into the motherhood sector, mm. right? But that third time around um, was so difficult for me. And part of that was because I, <laughs> you know, I remember being, I, re- I can remember it like it was yesterday and it's been 10, 10 11 years. And I literally remember it like it was yesterday. I was um, at work. And I think for anyone who has gone through this or heard of someone who has gone through this, just the fact that I've already said that I was at work, people are probably holding their breath. Yeah. Um, it's something, a hard, very hard thing to go through, period, let alone to have to go through it at work. And I was at work and I was experiencing some cramps and I, I didn't know that I was pregnant. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is just my regular cycle, which I'd experienced hard cycles my whole entire time since I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on medication for them. The medication made me hallucinate. So they took me off of my mom was like, no, we're not doing that. Um, so then they were like, I want to put her on birth control. My mom was like, I'm not comfortable with her being on birth control at 12. It was just, oh, like, so then I end up going through this cycle of trying to combat uh, the cramps with different medications, right? So that's what I'm thinking um, mm. when you fast forward to this time. So I'm at work and I'm just like, I'm literally at my desk, but I'm like, like <laughs> folded over. Mm. Um, and like my head is, my chin is like resting on my desk as I'm trying to type notes at this particular job that I worked at at that time um, in Wisconsin. So it was before I moved to Arizona and I I was just sitting there and I was like, I can't. So I get up and I go to the bathroom and um, yeah, that was the beginning of my life changing forever. I'd never seen it this way. And so it was, it was just blood. It was just blood and tissue and more blood and tissue and more blood and tissue. And I was rocking. And then I tried to, I couldn't determine whether I should sit on the toilet or get up because I was nauseous and it was just this round and round and um the way that that the offices were there were two offices that joined to a bathroom kind of like a Jack and Jill situation and so my office mate at the time she like is like are you okay like do I need to call somebody and you know (laughs) as women society places a lot of pressure on us to be strong yeah. Right. Yeah. So while I probably should have taken that opportunity to be like, yeah, go ahead and call 911. Cause literally at this point, I'm like, I barely know where I am. I am, I'm out of it. Hmm. And I just am thinking to myself, like, Lord, please don't, let, please don't let me die on this bathroom floor. I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I'm thinking I've already been through these kind of cycles with this much pain of, of cramps. So surely, this must just be something along the lines of that, right? So that's like, it's the both, both worlds is what I'm thinking. Mm. I'm nevertheless, I'm steadily bleeding. So I tell her, no, I'm good. I'm gonna finish these last few notes. Oh my gosh. And then I'll go to the doctor. And so I proceed to gather myself up, do the best I can to stop, you know, like, so it's, it's not going through my clothes. And I go back and I sit at my desk. And I literally can not even, like, the screen is blurry, but I'm still typing, trying to type these notes because I'm like, I have to get them in. If I don't get them in, blah, 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 blah. I'm strong. I can do this, right? And then I call the doctor and I'm like, hey, this is going on. I need to go to the doctor, blah, 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 um, or come see you. And so they fit me in. 
Um, I get in the car, I get out the car, there's blood on my seat. Mm. <laughs> um, I go in, I'm trying to cover it because I have to walk in this doctor's office, right? So at least if I can get to the bathroom, I could, but I need to find something to cover it. I find something, wrap it around me. I go into the bathroom, swap out everything that needs to be swapped out, try to clean myself up the best I can, but I have to wait in a waiting room. Um, and so I'm, I sit down by the time I get up. I've gone through another one Aww. It's through my clothes again. Um, and so I'm like, I like twist, turn some stuff, put my purse behind me the best I could. And I'm like, almost like sprinting is what it Aww. felt like. But I really wasn't moving that fast because I was extremely busy because I drove myself to this clinic, right? <laughs> to my doctor's office. And I get in there um, and I just like sit down and I'm almost falling over. And she's like, why don't you lie back? <laughs> you know, and I, I do, and she's talking to me. And so they do a pregnancy test and she comes back and, and I will never forget this. She comes back and in the most um, callous way, I know doctors, and, and this is no knock to doctors because I understand the work they do. You deliver bad news. Yeah. And then I'm being in mental and behavioral health. I remember delivering bad news, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, you in order to protect yourself so that you can continue to do the work, sometimes you can be a little hard at your delivery. So she comes in the doctor's office and she's like, you're pregnant or at least you were. Oh my gosh, Mickey. And I go, I'm, I'm sorry. What, what did you say? And she repeats it. And I, I was like, I, I, I said, excuse me. I'm sorry. What did you say? In the effort to give her, give her a chance to kind of deliver that differently. And she <laughs> delivered it the exact same. And I said, okay. Um, and then she's like, you didn't know? Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I didn't. Um, but I do now, you know, kind of thing. And so she examines me and she tells me how far along she thought I was. And then she's like, well, I guess go home and rest. Oh my God. And I'm like, okay, um, do I need to do anything? Well, I'm going to schedule you to come back in a few days so we can take some blood tests, make sure. And then everything else was just like the Charlie Brown womp, 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 womp. So yeah. She doesn't prescribe me anything for the pain. She doesn't, nothing. She doesn't, she tells me to take Tylenol. She doesn't say how much, any of that. So I get in the car and I proceed to drive back to work, <laughs> dizzy. And I go back to work. Um, and my, you know, my manager was like, you need to go home. And I went Jeez. home and then I came back to work that night for an event that we were putting on for the kids. Um, it was just, the world literally felt like it was spinning. Yet here I was. And I remember just asking the Lord, like, God, like, what is this for? Like, am I ever, you know, I was 16 when they first told me that they didn't think that I would be able to have children. And tell uh, me why, why is that? Because at the time they just, okay. So they were doing all these tests and they were saying that like it, the way that my uterus sits, which is tilted, which is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. um, they just didn't think that it would be a viable pregnancy. Like I could get pregnant, but they didn't think that I would be able to carry a baby to term. It wasn't until literally what I was like, what, 24, 25, when I officially got diagnosed by another doctor with PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome. And so that came years later, like mm -hmm. almost 10 years later, um, when they gave me a diagnosis. And I remember the relief I felt um, having a, a name to put to it. 
so I can start researching it. What should I eat? What shouldn't I eat? What should I stay away from? What, how do I combat this? What are some of the symptoms? Um, how do I combat those symptoms without having to be drugged up in all mm. these different medications, which usually cause other issues. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was really the journey. Um, and then it was just a lot of turmoil after that, <laughs> you know, yeah. of, uh, trying to walk through navigating relationships because how do you at that age especially how do you tell somebody that you probably you may not be able to have children when they want kids you know so it could be the end of some relationships for you um and that actually ended a relationship for me because that's a lot for anyone to take on and when you don't have the you're not equipped with the education and what you need to take that on that's what happens you know yeah I remember when I was I think 19 um I had a similar diagnosis of like the, they called it an inverted uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also said that I had endometriosis. And so they sent me in for an exploratory surgery and they didn't find any in the surgery. And I saw three different doctors, three different gynecologists, and they um, all said that I have the symptoms of endometriosis and my blood work and the numbers in my my blood work show that I have it, but they couldn't find it. And they told me at that point in time, like, you're, you're probably not going to be able to have kids. And I remember that hitting me so stinking hard. And I was already in a relationship with my now husband, um, at that point in time. And we, we had talked about like harvesting my eggs and having somebody else carry our baby and like all of these really big, like, yeah holy moly things. And I can't imagine what you just described of like, okay, now I hear this and I don't know what this means for my future partner. Right. I don't know what this means for my future family. Right. Um, Oh, good. You know, at 16, when they told me originally at 16, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Honestly, because I'm 16, right? Yeah, your so brain's like, like, what? Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just, are we done here so I can get back to work and to cheer practice? Like, that's what for my mind was, you know, and then it took a couple of weeks to kind of set in like, oh, wait, hold on. I know you may not want them now, but in some years. And, you know, when I got that PCOS diagnosis, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that came a few years after a failed marriage and three different doctors telling me I wasn't going to be able to have kids. Right. And so then that one hit differently, <laughs> you know, like that, that hit differently. Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember thinking like, I, I'm going to hemorrhage. Like this is happening. Like every single time I had an episode with PCOS or even the mis the miscarriages, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, like, how do you navigate what's happening in your body? Um, and then leading up and just, you know, that, that, that can overtake you as a young lady. You don't know what to make of that because our society society puts so much pressure on women, Mm -hmm. young girls um, to to have babies. Mm -hmm. And so if that's not what you want or if that's what you, if if your body, if you feel like your body can't do that um, and you don't have the money for IVF or you don't have the money for any of the other things, a surrogate, then you kind of feel hopeless. Like you immediately go to that place of associating being a mother with the with your value mm-hmm. am I enough am I ever gonna be enough is anybody gonna be able to love me apart from not being able to possibly not being able to experience this part of what I'm supposed to experience as a woman 
because that's how much weight our society places on it for generations and generations and years and years and years and years. I mean, go all the way back in ancient times. Um, you know, they used to ostracize women who were considered quote unquote barren, women who couldn't uh, conceive and carry and deliver. And it's actually so common. Yeah. I, I was doing some research and it's, it's one in four, one in four yeah. women struggle with um, losing a pregnancy or an infant. One in four women struggle with, with infertility, difficulty yeah. getting pregnant. And even just in doing this podcast, the majority of the women I've spoken to on this podcast have experienced either fertility issues, infant loss, or losing like a miscarriage, losing a baby. Like, yeah. whoa. And you don't, it's because we don't talk about it. It's one of those taboo things because to talk about infertility and miscarriage goes right against what society is saying pertaining to motherhood, Mm -hmm. right? So we don't talk about it because if we don't talk about it, then we can pretend like it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can keep the stigma there so that you feel like you have to be um, a, a mother that you feel like you are not complete if you're not a mother that so you can feel alone in it so you'll keep down a path of trying to walk into what society wants for you versus what you may see for yourself or what you feel the plan that god if you believe in him has for you and so i i really i i really stress that part of it you know when obviously that's the work that the womb keeper does um and the womb keeper is my own, I call it a ministry, but it's a business, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to do all the legal stuff behind it. And that's really what that, what that's about is it came about. I started researching, you know, it's not just me by myself. Um, there are other people and I didn't just struggle with the miscarriages, infertility, as I said, you know, being told that I wouldn't have kids. Well, when I started trying, actively trying, it took us a, a while to get our first child and even then when she came about we were like surprised Mm. because I'd given up right and so me giving up I was I was like I'm done with this it's either gonna happen or not we can look into a bunch of different options but it's probably not gonna happen for me they probably were right and then boom and I'm like oh okay well we weren't prepared for this Um, (laughs) and you've had you've had two babies worship and harmony and you've did you start the womb keeper before getting pregnant with worship or was that after no um it was it was during I was pregnant with her and I was about six months pregnant and somebody um we were at a conference and somebody came and she was the lady was speaking into my life and she was saying to me you know the lord the Lord calls you to want women's wombs and so you know I was praying and the womb keeper womb keeper came about and I was just like wait what and then the Lord was just like start journaling you know like I want you to journal this process I want you to journal how you feel the ups the downs the lows the whatever because I think sometimes people think when you struggle with infertility and you've experienced infant or pregnancy loss I think a lot of times people assume that once you get pregnant all those fears and worries go away. And mm-hmm. that is not so. So I used to have nightmares about losing worship. Um, I would be on, like in my dream, I would be sitting on a toilet and she would just come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, different scenarios and different ways. And then she just wouldn't make it. And so then I would be devastated in these dreams and I would wake up in a, like sweating and crying. Like, but I was pregnant with her. 
Mm. Um, so, you know, just being like, okay, what's this dream? What is this about? You know what? And so just pouring into the womb keeper. And then I started to walk with other women while I was pregnant that were trying to conceive, um, carry and deliver full term. Um, I walked with women who had experienced miscarriages all while carrying worship. Um, because for me, I I put the fact that I was carrying her to the side and I honed in on what the purpose, my purpose was supposed to be concerning this work. Sometimes in our pain, that's exactly where we find our purpose. So Absolutely. the Lord was showing me, you know, turn your pain into purpose. There's a reason that you had to experience this. You made it through and everybody's journey may look different, but you made it through. And when I say through, that doesn't mean it's over. <laughs> that doesn't mean I won't experience it, any other hardships. It just means that I made it through. And so mm. why don't you go turn that into purpose so that people can see the hope on the other side? That's beautiful, Mickey. I love what you said. Like our pain is exactly meant to take us to find our purpose. That's how we find it. I yep. think that's so powerful in the lens of like, you, you were in the midst of a pregnancy, but you still followed your calling to walk with, be with, provide hope to, and support to other women who were struggling, struggling with, with miscarriages or fertility law, like infertility to was, me, that's you're out of my mind too. <laughs> like, yeah. That could be something that, that everybody knows. I was scared. And Dina loves this like quote that I say, but it's real. <laughs> like I had to do the womb keeper. I had to do it afraid, but I had mm. to do it. Mm. And I really, truly believe that in doing that, I was able to focus on getting worship here and into the earth versus being so focused and letting her simmer in a bunch of fear. I had to push it aside and just do it. Like, and I would, there would be moments where I'd be like, oh gosh, okay, wait, I'm scared. Wait, 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 what? Okay, wait, she has to actually come out. How's she going to get out? I remember, like, I literally had a nightmare <laughs> about that. <laughs> and so, um, you know, like that, but I did it and I did it afraid because I, I understood that the, the, the end result, the purpose was bigger than me. Mm. It was bigger than me. It is bigger Absolutely. than me. Absolutely. And you've turned that into something so much bigger than you, not in just how you connect and walk with women on their journey, but you've created a book. Like you're an author. (laughs) (laughs) Every time somebody says that, I like giggle because to me, okay. So yes, that is right. It is called um, The Womb Keeper, The 40-Day Journey Through the Wilderness of Infertility. And it can be found on Amazon. You guys can just have literally just in the search bar, put hashtag the womb keeper and it'll come right up. It's Kindle. I have a Kindle version and we have paper copies that are made on demand. Um, but it that was hard for me to publish mm-hmm. because it literally, 90% of it, my journal entries mm-hmm. during the time wow. that I was pregnant with worship. And so, um, yeah, you don't really think at the time when I was writing them that I was going to be publishing them in a book for people to read. Mm. Um, so there's some, like, it's really personal, really intimate, you know, like, yeah, um, there's a chapter like that I like to post about around Valentine's day for us women who struggle with infertility in our, like trying to get a baby, right. You know, make love, not a baby because we so time, so many times forget about our partners in all of this. Um, and we forget to acknowledge and appreciate them as we're striving for a baby when you've experienced infertility and or infant and pregnancy loss. And so there's just different chapters in there that I really 
like intimate. Um, they're short. I like to get straight to the point because we don't have to like <laughs> eight pages for one chat. No, like just it's a one pager per chapter, maybe two. Um, a little prayer to go with this, some scriptures if you're into that. Um, but yeah, that's that's what it is. And it literally is 40 days. And then there's a love letter at the end. So check, definitely check it out. Um, if you're struggling with infertility, infant loss, pregnancy loss, if you know someone who is, definitely, 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 this is a great gift that you don't even have to talk. Mm-hmm. Just slide it over to them, send it to them in the mail, um, ship it to their house. I think there's beauty in the fact that people can read it and relate to what you were going through in a journal entry. And I know you've sent this. So um, Alethea Forlas was a guest on on the show previously, and you sent her a copy of this when she lost her baby girl. You said, let me, like, give me her address. I want to send her a copy. And I think it's so, it, it shows the beauty of your soul. It shows you chasing your calling. And I think that when we slow down and allow ourselves to relate and resonate to what you share, that's going to hit each and every one of us differently in our journey, but it'll allow us to honor it and it'll allow us to not feel alone. Yeah, definitely. You know, and even as I think about that book, you know, I had to recently, and I shared this with you, Dina, I had to recently um, revisit it, you know, and then go and seek my own other things because my husband and I just experienced another loss mm-hmm. um and so you know I'm still dealing with that yeah and so which is something I've always talked about with the womb keeper you guys I'm here in the trenches with you just because I have two babies now does not mean that PCOS went away <laughs> it does not mean that I don't still have to deal with infertility after having children it does not mean that I don't have to ex- I will never experience loss again because here I am for the fourth time experiencing another loss. And I think that that is what the womb keeper is about. Is this just making sure that you feel that you don't feel alone, that you know that other people are standing with you. You know, I've met some beautiful and amazing, amazing women throughout this journey that I'm connected to. And these women, I call them warriors. You know, some of them have had seven, eight, nine miscarriages. Some of them have had a couple stillbirths and miscarriages. Mm. So when I think about this, they're still doing the work. They still are out there doing the work. So even though there's pain that gets you to your purpose and you get to your purpose, it doesn't necessarily ever mean that you arrive. Sometimes you get to the purpose and then there's still more of the purpose. You know, my husband and I talked about this loss and we did, we believed it was a boy. Um, we are believers. And so, you know, that we prayed and some different things. And so we believe it was a boy. So we named him, we named him John. And so one of the things my husband and I said, when I was talking to him, my husband was like, you know, I never really understood how people processed and grieve miscarriages. And because he's a man for a lot of men, they have to, they like, when it's out of sight, it's kind of like out of mind. Hmm. They don't get it because it's not their body. It doesn't mean that they're not, they don't have sympathy or empathy even it doesn't mean that they're not walking with it it's just they don't sometimes understand it until they're the dad in the situation and so my husband you know just shared like I didn't understand it until we were in that room and they were doing the ultrasound and there's no heartbeat and I start to cry and he's looking at me like what is going on as a mother I've experienced loss but I've also experienced two children so I know 
I know what it's like when they get ready to go. I know exactly what they what monitor they use, how they switch over to hear the heartbeat. And so when it came time for that, and John did, John's heart was not beating. That was that like I immediately knew mm-hmm. what we were about to experience, right? And I was human. I didn't go into the quote unquote the womb keeper and and start trying to mask it and start trying to speak all the life I speak into other people. No, didn't do that. I was Mickey in that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in that moment, what Mickey needed was to be able to feel what she was experiencing with the loss of now her fourth child. That's now a heavenly angel baby, you know? Mm-hmm. So I really think that that's really a, what people can get from life. We overcome. And sometimes that means that we have to overcome in different stages of life. It doesn't mean that once we get to a place where we see the light, that we're always going to be there. But what I do know is at the end of this tunnel that we're currently going through, there's a light. And I'll be back to the place where I was, you know, before I came to this place of experience in this last loss. I like how you honor the emotions that you have. And I think that's a piece of, of the womb keeper, the book, and a piece of how you walk with women is to honor and be with the emotion and destigmatize it. Don't hide it. Don't push it down and stuff it because you know women are good at that. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> but to honor and be with that and grieve it. And you are like the umpteenth person that has said that they've named the the baby that they lost oh, as yeah. a miscarriage and naming your baby, saying their name, letting their life live in whatever way that that feels good for your soul and not letting it be something that you feel like you have to hide or not talking about is a part of that grief process, right? Like it's hard to grieve something and fully let yourself be in that when you're when you're hiding it or when you're yes. afraid to talk about it, right? Like you're, you, you literally will, will suck it up and move through. <laughs> yeah, literally mm-hmm. like for real. And it's, you know, I think that um, it's very important that we don't do that. Mm-hmm. A dear, dear friend of mine, you know, she's had some, she's experienced some loss of her own. She got me a Pandora chain of not chain, but charm um, with the little wings on it that says spread your wings and fly. Hmm. You know, um, my best friend got me or helped me get a necklace that has like two little baby feet on it. And we put John's initials on the back with the date that he passed or that I passed him. Hmm. And so, you know, those are the things that honor those babies. I tell women all the time, I don't care if it's been 15 minutes, 15 months. 15 years you don't ever forget that child because you carried them no matter for how long or short of a time you felt that was you carried them they were a part of you and so we have to honor that in a way that feels good for us just like you said but aside from the noise you know one of the things that irritated me the most you know I'm African-American and so our families can really be like, they don't want to talk about mental health. They don't want to talk about nothing that's taboo, okay? And so miscarriages go in that category. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times what happens is there's more focus on everything else instead of a- asking the questions that, you know, that should be asked and answered. 
So like you'll go to a family gathering and it doesn't just happen in our culture, but I'm speaking from, because there's a level of insensitivity that I don't think is, definitely don't think is intentional, but it happens. And so you'll go to a family function and the question will be, why y'all don't have no kids? Or when y'all gonna have kids? And I'm like, you're asking people about kids. And I remember being at a function actually, because the third miscarriage that I was speaking about that started to happen while I was at work happened around um, Thanksgiving Mm. time of, of 2010. And I remember people asking me and my partner at the time, when y'all gonna start having kids? When y'all gonna do this? When y'all? And I was just looking at them and I just literally just turned away. I didn't even respond. So I probably came off a little rude too, but I just turned around and walked away because I'm literally passing a baby right now while you're asking me why I don't have one. Mm. And so I think that we have to really hone in on the responsibility of being sensitive in moments and times like this when women are experienced and it's not just women let me be very clear i just want to say this because i think a lot of times we focus on the woman yes i'm the woman so i get it mm-hmm. uh, you have the baby inside of you you are the one going through the physical part of it but the man is also there and so we cannot forget that the man experiences it when we forget that he becomes emotionally unavailable because he doesn't know how to sort those emotions and when a lot of people who experience a child and pregnancy, infant and pregnancy loss and infertility, many times, unfortunately, they don't make it, the couple doesn't make it out on the other side. Hmm. And it's because in the research I've done and just in my experience, because I don't just coach women, I coach couples as well. My experience has been that sometimes all the focus is on the woman and what's going on with the woman, which I completely understand. Again, I am the woman, so I get it. I've experienced loss, so I get it. But they completely forget about the man. Mm-hmm. And the man's job becomes to take care of the woman, but who takes care of him? There has to be this exchange of, yes, take care of her. And as soon as she's physically able, the exchange has to go both ways so that the, the man doesn't become emotionally unavailable in the, his loss, because he lost a baby too. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I thought of that when I interviewed my friend Alethea who had lost her baby and I was like, how's Jamie? Like he's going through this too. Like he's, he's experiencing losing this baby as well. And I think that it's, you mentioned earlier, like women are tough and they just power through and they, they, pull up their britches and go, right? And I think men do the same thing. They yeah. they try to be strong for their partner. And whether it's a man that's a partner or, or a woman that's a partner, you try to be strong for your partner. You try to, to hold and honor what they're going through and what their body's going through in that. And that yeah. doesn't mean that you don't get to feel what you feel as well. Yes. And that's one of the things that my husband's like, you're such a therapist. I'm like leave me alone okay yes it's my life okay it's what I do leave me alone Um, but because I'm like are you good like no are you really good you know because in our in this last loss that we're currently moving through and grieving through right now you know when John passed and I passed you know science can sometimes be insensitive because they want to call everything tissue but it wasn't just tissue I passed my baby 
Mm-hmm. And when I passed my baby, the pain, because you I actually labored this time. So I, I literally was like in labor for two and a half hours. And um, before everything happened and he passed and I was trying to, my husband was coming to check on me and I was trying to tell him, wait a second, because I didn't want him to come around the corner and be traumatized. I couldn't get it out fast enough. And so he experienced walking around the corner and seeing our child that had just passed. And so I, I have really been on him like, okay, how are you doing? How are you feeling? He's like, I'm, I'm processing. I'm good. And my husband also works in mental health, but Mm -hmm. I don't care. (laughs) I'm like, you, how are you? What are you doing? You know? And I remember, um, one of, um, one of my nieces experienced the loss and everybody was just showering her with stuff. And I sent her something. And when I sent her something, I also sent her a book. It's called letters, letters to a dad from dads or something like that. It's on Amazon. I can get you the actual name of that. If anybody wants is interested in that book, because I have it in my cart right now for my husband. Yeah. Two. I can put it in the show notes. Yes. Okay. I'll get it for you. Um, the okay. actual name of it, but I sent that book in like a little keychain that said dad of an angel. Mm. And she said like, he was in tears because out of, everybody and this is not to puff myself up I mean it's obviously part of the work I do so I, I I'm always thinking about the dads too um but she said out of every like she had a plethora of gifts flowers everything not one person got him anything for himself as a memory to help mm. remember their baby and it just speaks volumes to exactly what you said society we all kind of look at man like, okay, y'all the providers, the protectors, the backbone, the fixers. So you have to be okay. Like you got to be good. But what if he's not? Yeah. And that's the conversation that makes us uncomfortable. But we have to have those uncomfortable conversations if any of us are ever going to get to our purpose, because that's how you heal. One of my mentors used to say, you have to heal the womb that births the baby. And I was like, what? <laughs> her name is earth and I was like what what are you talking about she said you have to heal the womb that births the baby she said in other words you have to heal the place of the pain if you ever want to be able to move forward mm. I was like oh snap <laughs> like that was so deep she's like if you don't heal the the origin of the pain that you experience it will go on for generations to come wow that is extremely deep I know I was like wait what it makes you think like I'm sitting here, you're talking about the miscarriages that you've had and the labor associated to John's miscarriage um, or losing John. And even the word miscarriage is insensitive. Yes. But I was thinking about like my own family's history and I was scared to death to celebrate being pregnant with my son because of my family's history. And when you're a social worker, you do, you learn about these things called genograms and it's kind of like a really in-depth family tree. And as I did the genogram, I realized that the woman in my family largely miscarried um, at least one child between seven weeks and 13 weeks is where their miscarriage happened. And that to me was like, whoa. And I remember my sister and I hope she is okay with me sharing this, but she's had a couple of miscarriages and she's lost a couple babies, I should say. And I remember one of them, she labored and she was in our guest bedroom at our house and she was crying in pain. And I was like, oh my God, what's happening? And the second one was actually my niece's twin. And she, she lost 
the identical twin to my niece, Haley, and the doctors were trying to have her do, it's called like a DNC, I think, uh-huh. and clean out her uterus to pass the the child that, that died. And my sister said, no, I, I'm, no, not yet. And thank God she said no, because Haley was still in there. Yep. And it's so common. And it's something that part of me wants to ask you. And I'm sure if I ask you, other people will be grateful. Like, how do we, how do we bring this subject up to people that we know have gone through a miscarriage or we suspect maybe have gone through losing a baby? How do you do that as the womb keeper? How do you support people on that journey? How do you honor it in a sensitive manner? One of the things that I was very big on is I put, um, like I post on my social media and one of the things I always end with a few different things, but it either be like besitos, which is like kisses in Spanish or like little kisses in Spanish. Or I might say something like, if you need to talk, I'm here, or I, I got your back or I, so that people feel the love. And then I just get inboxes, like, like literally from all over the world. And the more that the ones that I get the most inboxes associated with are the ones when I share my own personal story. Now, for people who don't have a personal story, I know that sometimes it can feel like, well, I don't have anything to share or to say, but that's not true. Just the art of being there is so huge. But when you, one of the things I do for women who I I can tell something is going on, but they haven't come out and said anything to me. Um, Cause I'm observant when you do a specific type of work, you can always, you're, you're like, you're attracted to yeah, you have somebody intuition. going through that. Yeah. You don't even necessarily know exactly what it is, but you end up being attracted to them and they are attracted to you with the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I will, if I know them personally, I'll send them a text message. If I don't, then I will call them. And I actually, one of my good friends, she lost the baby and the baby that she lost, she had to have a DNC. And I had no idea about it. Except how I found out was because I was just looking at something, her pictures that she was posting. She wasn't even saying anything like captioning it, anything crazy, just like her pictures. And I texted her, I said, are you okay? and she said yes and I said is that the yes that you like the yes because you think that I'm unavailable to like talk to you or is that the yes like you're really okay and she texts me back like it came in like three or four text messages Mm. and she's like actually I'm not okay and and she just ran it down and that's how I found out our culture is, we're so good at being like, how are you? But we don't really want to hear how people are. We want to say, how are you? And we want people to be like, I'm good. good. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but so when true. they say like, today's not a good day, then we're like, oh, okay, well, it'll get better. And then we we keep going because we want to be okay. <laughs> it's uncomfortable when somebody's feeling sad or upset or any of those things. So we kind of try to like push past it. The best thing you can do is if somebody's on your heart or your mind, or you see something on social media, that's kind of like out of character, like it may not even be anything bizarre, but for you, you know, that person in such a way that you're like, mm, mm, mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you texting them or send them an inbox and say, Hey, I'm thinking of you hope all is well, you'll be surprised what you get back from people. And I know for some people they, that might be listening, they might be like, hey, that doesn't really answer my question. It does. Because mm-hmm. what you want to get into the habit of is not even having to know 
in order to be able to be a beacon of light for that person and, and, and a array of hope for them in the midst of what they're going through. Mm. A lot of us just want somebody to say, are you okay? That's why when you say, are you okay to somebody face to face, they don't even say nothing. They just break down crying. <laughs> you ever notice that? They just yes. fall apart because they just want somebody to ask them, are they okay? Mm. It has little to do with the talking and the everything are you okay? No, I'm not. I can't tell you how many text messages in the last like two weeks that I, and I'm a therapist, like by nature, I'm a therapist, Dina, you know me very well. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to be like, no, I'm the one who needs help this time. And just having to send those text messages back to my brother. I call him my brother, one of my best friends and a couple family members, a couple close people to me that knew about the miscarriage or the loss of John. Um, and then they respond to me and say, how are you doing? And I will respond to them and I will say, do you want to really know how I'm doing? Or do you want me to tell you what you want to hear? Mm. And then they will respond to me, girl, if you don't tell me what's going yeah. on. And I was like, I'm devastated. My heart is broken. I can't stop crying because that's really what's happening. But I need to know if you're in an emotional place to be able to receive my emotions. Because there's nothing like asking a person if they're okay. And then when they tell you they're not, you just feeding them some stuff, some BS, so that you're comfortable <laughs> instead of really honing in on how they feel. Like that is like one of the most, I feel, disrespectful things you can do to a person that's in the middle of going through something, not even just loss, just period. Like if I'm not okay and you ask me if I'm okay and I get ready to pour my heart out to you and then you're like, oh, well, gotta go, you know, just kind of was checking in. No, don't check in on me if you really aren't going to check in on me. I think that's a valuable point. Like if, if you are asking somebody if they're okay, or you are wanting to check in on them, make sure you yourself are emotionally available and ready to, to open that door. Right. And be there for that person. And I think something else you pointed out that resonates with me is, is awareness, like step outside of yourself for a minute and look at the people in your life be aware of how they are and how they act follow your intuition and your gut around if someone is okay or not okay and if 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 you want to be there for them then open that door and be next to them and be with them yep and don't you know just it's, it's okay to not have a rebuttal it's okay to not have anything to say And I think that sometimes when you are in the trenches with people, it's hard to not have anything to say because you feel like you should be saying something. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like Like, there's something I should say. Yes. I struggle with that so much. I'm a perfectionist by nature and everything that comes out of my mouth, I want it to be just right. And when it's not just right, I think about it. Like I'm going to think about what I said, like 25 days later, (laughs) it's it's in my brain and it's eating me up and that that'll get in the way of being emotionally available to somebody or saying something that sounds disingenuine. Yeah. Because it's like in regular conversations, you're waiting for your turn to speak, Mm. but really you don't have to say anything. So I'm letting you off the hook right now. Most people who are experiencing loss and fertility is also a loss in anything in the realm of the scope of this work they don't really want you to say much, <laughs> if anything. Really, we just want you to be there. We want to know that we are not alone. Um, and, and I'm reading a, a awesome book about loss um, right now. And it's called Loved Baby. Um, and it's 31 Devotions. And it's by Sarah, I don't know how to say her last name, Philpot. 
P-H-I-L-P-L-T-T, P-H-G. Um, and I got it off Amazon after tax. It was like $14.92. I do have Prime. Just want to throw that out there. Um, <laughs> but it was, I got that book. And in there, it speaks about one lady who everybody was trying to comfort her with words. And um, the best comfort she got was from her four-year-old niece who just came in the room while she was laying down, came in the room late, late next to her and rubbed her back. Mm. Didn't say a word. She's four. She doesn't know. She doesn't know what's going on. Right. She might she know about a lot. It. She yes, can feel it. Exactly. And so she sat with her in it. And that's all that's wanted in those times is just to sit with me. Just sit with me in it. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you want to fix it. I don't need you to fix it. I'm not even asking you to be comfortable. I'm just asking you to sit with me. Mm-hmm. Be present with me. Don't be on your phone scrolling. Don't be thinking through your head of what you gonna cook for dinner or what you, you're going to say to me on your way out. You know, th- there's a, um, obviously you, you can't, you might not be able to come sit with me for 24 hours, you know, right? So there has to be a, hey, I only have a couple hours, um, you know, and even maybe, you know, I don't know how everybody feels about this, but I know some of my friends that have done that. Like, I'm like, yo, set a timer for the two hours that you that you have to, yeah. to give me. Because what I don't want you to do is keep looking at your phone because it feels like... <laughs> you want to get away. <laughs> okay. Or it feels like you're checking for notifications and text messages when really you're just looking at the time. Yeah. But sometimes our judgment is clouded when we're in the middle of loss. Think about a person, another person that you might have lost, a, a grandparent, a parent, an aunt, an uncle. When you lose that person, if somebody comes to sit with you and they say they're there for you and then they're on their phone, checking their phone, or they, they're just feeding you a bunch of, it's going to be okay, they're in a better place. How does that make you feel? I get pissed. I don't care <laughs> if you're in a better place, okay? How do we know? Like, that's not what I want to talk about right now. Where right now, I don't really even want to talk because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in my mind I'm thinking about how how particularly an infant and pregnancy loss how is what I'm doing how did it contribute to that did mm-hmm. I not take enough prenatal vitamins did I did I eat did I eat some lunch meat from the deli that I shouldn't have did so your I, brain goes to the place yeah, of blaming yourself good you go through all these different kinds of things and so I'm already, my brain is literally not shutting up. I don't need anybody else to talk to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you I think know, you, make some, <laughs> you make some valuable points, Mickey. And I think that the topic of self-blame is huge in the land of like losing a baby, yep. right? Like how do you, it's so hard to separate yourself from the fact that your baby's gone and the fact that you couldn't keep your baby alive or that you were inhospitable to your baby. Are you like your brain just goes down these places of you're not good enough. You couldn't provide well enough. And that, that that's normal. First of all, that's natural and that's normal. But second of all, none of that's the truth right? It's out of our hands. Yeah. I, I am not responsible for my baby making it to this earth and I'm not responsible if he didn't. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, one of the things I want to just throw this little tidbit out there too. One of the questions I urge you not to ever ask someone who's lost a baby or even struggling with infertility, don't ever say what happened. Mm. And 
um, I've gotten that question. And like this time around, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, bro, like, you know me, like, I'm the wound keeper, like, you should know this, but you don't. So that means I'm not affecting my inner circle as I'm educating others. Okay, so I need to do better there. (laughs) But like, you asked me what, (laughs) what happened. And um, I I don't know. You know, I carried him to uh, 12 weeks, almost 12 weeks gestational. But he passed at six in mm-hmm. three days. I don't know what happened. I don't. You know, so there's all these different theories and things like that. But please don't ask me what happened. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't know. And even if I do know, it's probably something I don't even want to talk about because I feel like I contributed to whatever happened still. So don't ask that question. And I yeah. know it doesn't come from an insensitive place. People are just curious. Like, okay, well, then I can help you not do that next time or I can help this. But that's not your job. You know, your job is to be with. Mm-hmm. Um, keep the questions to a minimum. Non-existent, really, but, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. Mickey, thank you so much for joining us today. This topic has been so near and dear to my heart and with my loved ones. And I believe wholeheartedly that this needs to be heard, that this needs to be talked about and embraced and honored. And you did such a phenomenal job, not only today in this podcast, but in your book and in your your life, in your circle, in your social media accounts, you do a beautiful job creating that space and honoring that. And the majority of women in this world need that. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, thank thank you. Cause I you already know we talked before this. So I kind of was just like, I don't know, Dina, I don't know, you know, but you um you just uh met with God and pushed me. You know, sometimes <laughs> that sometimes you I want to give up the wound keeper. I'm like, Lord, this is too hard, especially right now. But then I have to be like, no, it's my purpose. I don't get mm-hmm. to give my purpose up because it's mm-hmm. hard. So thank you for having me. My social media handles are um, at the womb keeper. That's Instagram. And um, I'm on Clubhouse. Woo-woo. So if you have an iPhone, uh, you can follow me on Clubhouse. My Facebook is Mikaela, and then like the womb keeper all together, all lowercase, Alexander. Um, if you happen to come up on my regular page, I probably will direct you to the womb keeper page just because I don't I don't even know if I'm able to add any more friends to my regular page because I was at like 5,000. So um, I just want to make sure that we, I can still connect with you. You can inbox me on any page, my personal ones, I don't care. I know Dina's going to post this in the link and like post the links or whatever. But if by some chance you hit me up or can't get through to me, just hit Dina, hit somebody. We'll, we'll make out. sure you find Mickey. Make Absolutely. Sure <laughs> Thank you so much, Mickey. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for tuning in today. I hope you are feeling inspired and empowered in your own healing journey. I know that many of you listening might be reflecting on your own stories that you may feel called to share. If so, please reach out to me at dinat at empowertoheal.com. That's D-E-N-A-T at empower2heal.com. Or drop me a message through my Instagram handle at 
empower the number two heal. I would love to connect with you and learn about your journey so that we can hopefully continue to spread these powerful life lessons on empowering ourselves to heal. My contacts will also be linked in the show notes below so that you can easily find me. We are so eager to start a movement in showcasing the many ways we can heal. And you can be part of this movement too by capturing images and tagging them hashtag empower the number two heal on Instagram. We look forward to seeing all the ways that you are empowered to heal. I love you beautiful souls and thank you so, so much. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and review. 